All right, we are wrapping up today the series that I've been in for the last several weeks entitled, In the Beginning, God. And if you're just now joining us, we're reading from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we skip down to verse number 31, and it says, And God saw everything that he had made. Everybody say that he had made. Come on, everybody say that he had made. Or if I, if I could say it another way, not only that, that things that he had made, things that he had influence over. He looked at the birds and the oceans and the trees, everything that he had created, everything that had his fingerprint, that, that had his signature attached to it, everything that God create, created, and he looked at it, and behold, watch this, it was not just good, but it was very good. That's because everything that God gets involved with, if you give him enough time, enough space, he'll take a mess and turn it into something very good. Now, one of the greatest frustrations of the human experience comes from our attempt to do what we want to do, what we choose to do, what we prefer to do, the way we want to do it, in the timing that we want to do it, and yet end up wondering why it doesn't turn out the way that the Bible describes. If we're honest with ourselves, so many of our frustrations in life have a connection to us not giving God his word, and his way first place in our lives. I need a better amen than that somebody. What am I saying? I'm saying that so many times we get mad, we get frustrated. Life has not turned out like we thought. Marriage doesn't end up being this joyful thing that we thought it was going to be. Our business doesn't end up working out like we thought. We don't end up having school be what we thought it was going to be. We get this degree, but we don't have all these jobs lined up. And so many times, if we are honest with ourselves, the reason why things have not been working out is not because God let us down. Shout amen. amen. Give me a better amen. Amen. It's not even because the devil is necessarily attacking us. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the reason why things in our lives have not worked out like we thought they would, like we wanted them to, is because we've made decisions that were what we wanted to do, what we thought it should be, in the timing we wanted to see it work out. And because we didn't invite God in in the beginning... We end up getting results that don't match what we dreamed in our heart and what the Bible says we should get. And the good news is if we can learn how to adjust how we make our decisions and let God really have first place, we can end up with some some results that are very good as well. The Bible says this, or here's a quote I should say, God is gracious and God is full of love. The world around us, however, is not. So that means that every one of our decisions really does matter. How many know God is gracious? Twelve of you. I say, how many know God is gracious? Thirty-eight of you. I say, how many know God is gracious? That that means that how many know that God doesn't always let you end up getting the stuff you deserve to have? Anybody glad that God is gracious and full of mercy? Anybody ever made some decisions that you are glad that you didn't end up getting what you deserve to get based on that decision? Let me ask this way. Anybody ever sowed some seed and you're glad God stopped the harvest from coming up? Every one of us. God is gracious. God is full of love. But the world around us is not. Which means if we want to see good results, not only are we thanking God for his grace and mercy, we've got to get better at making the right decisions. God is the one who has helped us understand this. And we've been talking the last several weeks about the importance of giving God preeminence. 
That means the importance of letting God be first place in our lives. We've talked about God creating a rhythm for life in the very beginning. He's always wanted our lives to have a rhythm. Last week, we talked about God creating family in the beginning. Family is God's idea. It wasn't the devil's idea, which means the devil doesn't have the right to come and weigh in and tell us what family is supposed to be. And one of the quotes I gave you last week that I think is just so important is that family is designed to fight back to back, not head to head. The people in your house, the people with your last name are supposed to be the people that we fight for, not against. Those are supposed to be people that we lay our lives down for, fighting back to back, not face to face. And I think we got to get better at making sure that we don't allow little bitty things to come in the way and separate us from the people God has brought into our lives. Now, I do want to add this caveat, though, because some people can end up feeling guilty and backed into a corner and letting themselves end up in an abusive situation because they think we're supposed to stick it out no matter what. There are some family members I have come to realize that the best way for you to have their back is to give them some space. Anybody other than me got at least one family member that might be a little demon seed? Come on, anybody? My family, the only one that's got one or two. Anybody else got a family member or two? Can I, can I tell you something? If you can't raise your hand, it might be you. Come on, somebody. Your family might be raising their hand on your behalf. <laughs> All of us got one or two family members, man, that, that allow themselves to be used a little bit by the devil, that test your Christianity a little bit, hmm? that know that you said you've been redeemed, and they're going to try to find out how redeemed. And if they don't watch out, they're going to find you still a work in progress, right? <laughs> Is that family member right there? Yeah, we're supposed to have each other's back, but sometimes you got to have their back by giving yourself a little space and allowing yourself to not get baited into something that can mess your life up or cause you trouble. This last week, to wrap this up, I want to talk about this. In the beginning, God created purpose. In the beginning, God created purpose. See, Satan would love for us to believe that we are all here by just mere luck or by happenstance. He wants us to think that our life is nothing but a series of coincidences. But those who know the truth know that that's nothing but a setup. Somebody actually planned this life before we got here. It's not coincidence that I'm wired the way that I'm wired or you're wired the way that you're wired. It's not dumb luck that you made it this far in life despite all the challenges that have come against you. I'm not gullible enough to believe that human life and consciousness is just a result of random selection. Too much had to go right for us to be here today. Can I just say it this way? We were created. Come on, we were destined by God. We have a destiny, and every one of us in here, no matter how much you think you messed up, every one of us in here has a purpose. And God wants us to understand that every one of us has a purpose. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10 this is God talking. He says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, I make known what is still going to come. He says, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. In the beginning, God had a plan and for all of eternity, God's purpose will stand. In the beginning, God had a plan. And for all of eternity, God's purpose will stand. This is something you need to understand about purpose. God has a unique plan for every one of us, every one of us, that he wants to reveal to us. 
God has a unique plan for us all that he wants to reveal to us. Your life is not an accident. God is not making this thing up as he goes along. He's not sitting in heaven saying, man, it's Sunday. Let me figure out what I'm going to do tomorrow on Monday. God has a plan. He's got a plan for earth as a whole. He's got a plan for mankind as a whole. But let's drill down. God's got a plan for your life and 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 my life and his life and her life. And it's not a plan that he's making up today to get ready for next week. God has a plan. Hear me out. God's got a purpose for your life that was already set in motion before you were ever even in your mother's womb. And God wants to reveal that plan to you and to me. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God did what he had purposed, and he made known to us the secret plan that he had already decided to complete by means of Christ. Verse 11 says, all things are done according to God's plan and decision. And God chose us to be his own people in union with Christ because of his own purpose based on what he had decided, watch this, from the very beginning. Come on, from the very beginning. So again, God has had a plan in motion from the very beginning. In fact, God knew that Adam was going to disobey him even before Adam disobeyed him. Even before he created Adam, before he took the dust and made Adam, God already knew there was going to come a day when Adam and his wife were going to have a choice. They were going to choose to obey the serpent instead of obeying God. They were going to be disconnected from God. But God, because he has a purpose and a plan, he already had a plan in progress to bring Adam and his wife and all of us back to him. That's why the Bible says in Revelation, the book of Revelations, it says, behold, the Lamb of God, watch this, who was slain before the foundation of the world. Come on, see, we read the story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We read about what happened at Calvary. But in the mind of God, before he ever said, let there be light, he already had the plan in place to send his son, allow his son to be beaten, allow his son to be crucified, allow his son to be raised from the dead so we could have a right to a relationship with the Father God. This plan has been in place. The purpose he has for your life and mine has been here from the beginning. God has had a plan for mankind from the beginning, and he's got a unique plan for every one of us. See, both of these passages I just read to you, both of them say that God is the one who makes known his purpose to the people that he has chosen. See, God is not mysterious. No matter how much church tries to tell us he's mysterious, I grew up in church where he used to say the Lord works in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says maybe. And the thing that I remember growing up is everything that happened, we blamed it on the will of God. Something good happened, something bad happened. It must have been the will of God. 14-year-old child dies tragically. And somebody, a preacher, would stand up on the stage and say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I remember growing up hearing stuff like that. God needed a flower. So he took your 14-year-old child. And even though you're grieving, you ought to rest assured. You ought to be happy in knowing that God wanted your child. And your child is so special and so precious. You ought to just be happy that God wanted your child in heaven. That's why he pulled a flower up from your family. Can I tell you, God is not some monster. You think about somebody that would, would take a 14-year-old kid away from their family. We put them in jail for murder. Yet we accuse God of being the type of God who would take a 14-year-old away from their family, who would take a father in the prime of his life, 
who will cause a, a grandmother who's got years left to live to take, be taken away with cancer, and we blame it on God. And we try to say that is the will of God. No, the Bible says, let me clarify for you, because there's some of you that may have been living your life mad at God because that's what you heard. Truth of the matter is, God had nothing to do with your grandmother being taken early or your child leaving here prematurely. The Bible says it is the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, but I came so you might have life and have it more abundantly. So if there's something in your life that has to do with stealing and killing and destroying, that's not coming from God. If there's something in your life that has to do with life and life in an abundant fashion, God said, that's me right there. But if we don't understand how to discern the will of God, we'll credit God with the devil stuff and the devil with God stuff. God wants us to understand his will is not mysterious. If God's will was mysterious, how could he hold us accountable for doing his will but be unwilling to tell us what his will is? There's going to come a day we got to stand before God. we got to give an account to God for how we've lived our lives. How can he expect me to do what his will is if his will is mysterious and he's playing peekaboo? Guess which hand my will is in? Nope, ha, 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 that's not it. How can he expect us to carry out something that he's not willing to tell us? No, he has a will for our lives, and he is more than willing to share with us as many details as we need to take the next step of obedience. That's good. Proverbs 19, 21 says, many are the plans in a person's heart. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that ends up prevailing. Notice that phrase, many are the plans in a person's heart. So right now in my heart, there are a whole lot of plans floating around. But just because I have a plan, watch this, just because I have an idea doesn't mean it's always from God. And the Bible says God, though, will reveal his plan to us. See, God has most certainly hidden his purpose in our heart, and he wants to make that purpose known to us. He's not playing hide and seek with his purpose. He wants to tell us what his purpose is. See, there are many things that we could do, but the thing that we should do or the thing that will cause us to succeed and, and bring true fulfillment to us is the thing that lines up with God's purpose. That's why we got to understand if God has given you a dream to start a business then God is interested in your business, not just making you a lot of money, not just making you famous, not just providing for your house. If God has given you a dream to start a business, God is interested in the business plan he's given you accomplishing his purpose. Every idea that God gives us is supposed to line up with the purpose that he has for our lives. That's why pursuing your own destiny or dream is not an option if you don't, it doesn't line up with God. That's why we don't have a right to sit in our comfort zone and just do what we want to do because God has a purpose for us that is bigger than we are. God needs us to fulfill the dream that he put in our heart because the dream in our heart is connected to God's master plan. See, every one of us has a life that we live. Let's assume this puzzle piece is your life. This puzzle piece has some yellow in it, it's got some green in it, it's got some white in it, it's got some pink in it, it's got a little eyeball right here. And if I look at this puzzle piece isolated, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's how our lives are. If I look at just my piece of the puzzle and all I do is focus on me, my house, us four, no more, I get concerned about making us a lot of money, building us a bigger house, making sure we got the cars we want to drive, but I never connected back to God has a purpose that I'm supposed to be tied to. 
If I never realize that God called me to start this business, not just so that I can make money, but so I can help fund the gospel and bring more people into the kingdom. If I never realized, watch this, that God blessed me with that house, not just so I can make everybody take their shoes off and tiptoe around and it never gets dirty. Nothing wrong with having people take their shoes off. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but if I don't ever realize, hang on, God blessed me with this house so I can maybe host a small group so that other people's lives can be changed. What I'm saying is if all I ever do is look at my life as this one puzzle piece and not realize it's supposed to fit into God's master plan. See, God's got a plan that if I look at it, his plan has my piece that's supposed to fit into the rest of the pieces. And I got to turn it and shape it and move it until I can find that, oh, here it is. My piece fits perfectly into God's kingdom plan. So that now when you look at God's master plan, my piece fits as a puzzle piece, which means my life was never supposed to be disconnected and separated from the rest of God's kingdom plan. Somebody ought to shout like you believe that today. Come on, you ought to shout like you believe that today. Listen to this, listen to this. Yes, you will be the head and not the tail. Say amen. amen. Yes, you will be above and not beneath. Shout amen. amen. Yes, the blessing of the Lord will make you rich. Yes, his favor will go before you and prosper your way. Yes, you'll be like a tree planted by the river. You'll produce more fruit than all the other trees around you. But that is not why God called you. God called you because he needs to use the gift he put inside of you to help build his kingdom. At the end of the day, it is never about us. It's always about God's kingdom. And when we truly embrace this truth, we have no problem praying and asking God to promote us. We have no problem asking God to cause us to stand out and be selected above all the rest. This revelation gives us confidence to believe God for the highest sales, for the biggest grants, for the wealthiest clients. Why, God? Because it's never about us. We realize we are agents of God's kingdom. Come on, man. So now watch this. Every time I'm asking God to bless me, prosper me, cause me to succeed, it's not just so I can have more. It's not so I can become famous and everybody know my name. And if you're a, a, an athlete, it's football season now, and you're on, out there on the football field, and you want God to, to bless you, you pray before your game. And, and you pray asking God, Lord, help maximize the skills you've given me. I've been training, developing, put, put in the work during the week, Lord. This Friday night, under the lights, let me be the best that I can possibly be. You want to catch three touchdowns. You want to get two interceptions. You want to maximize your skill. Watch this. Why would God maximize your skill if everything after the fact is going to be about all you did? But if God maximizes your skill, watch this, and hashtag team sideline comes to talk to you about how well you did in the game, and the first words out of your mouth are, I thank God for that God is the one who blessed me with the ability to play this game. All of a sudden, watch, 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 watch. Now your success is tied back to building his kingdom. You're part of a bigger puzzle than just your life all by itself. I'm preaching real good right here. All of a sudden, God has no problem prospering you because your prosperity also prospers his kingdom. What else do we need to know about purpose? Our decisions and our life choices don't change God's purpose. Our decisions and our life choices don't change God's purpose. 
See, God has a purpose for your success that is eternal. God's got a purpose attached to your success, and it's eternal. In fact, we, we, could, we could liken it to the GPS in your car or on your phone when you get ready to take a trip and, and you punch in your destination and you say, oh, I'm trying to go to St. Augustine. You hit the address, boom, you hit it. How many know that as long as you don't turn that thing off, that phone or that, that GPS, the navigation system will keep working hard to get you to St. Augustine? In fact, no matter how many wrong turns you make, you can look up five hours later, halfway to Alabama. <laughs> and if you, watch, if, you don't, watch this, watch this, if you don't ever hit the off button, that thing will drive you bonkers because every 30 seconds, it'll be trying to tell you, get, get off of this exit, make a legal U-turn. Why? Because as long as that GPS is still on, watch this, it's going to spend the rest of your life trying to reroute you to St. Augustine because you said, I'm trying to get to St. Augustine. Well, guess what? God's got a purpose for your life. Come on, man. No matter how many wrong turns you take, no matter how much grief and depression comes at you, no matter how many times you've blown it and missed the mark and gotten off track, God, the Holy Spirit, is always, he's trying to reroute you. He's trying to get you right back to where he intended you to be from the very beginning, man. That's why you got to stop licking your wounds. Get yourself up, man. Yeah, you messed up. Welcome to the club. Get back up. Let God dust you off. Press your ear to the Holy Spirit again. Let him tell you how to get rerouted. So you can continue heading in the direction that God ordained for your life before the foundation of the world. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says, for God's gifts and his call. We could paraphrase that and say his purpose for your life. God's gift and his call, watch this, watch this, can never be withdrawn. I mean, he could have said God's gift and his call are seldom withdrawn. He could have said God's gift and his call more than likely won't be withdrawn. He said the gift that God has in your life, the calling he has in your life, put those together as God's purpose, can never be withdrawn. That means no matter how much you've fallen flat on your face, no matter, no matter how many times you've blown it and promised God I'm going to do it right this time, no matter how many other folks have gotten frustrated with you and written you off saying there's nothing, you're just a liar, you ain't going to never get right. God says, my gifts and the calling that comes with those gifts can never be withdrawn, which means he's still cheering you on to what he's called you to do. See, watch this. God gives gifts and talents and abilities that line up with the purpose that he's given for our lives. Man, this is good. So many people try to figure out, oh, I don't know what my purpose is. Well, watch this. If you, if you can't figure out what your purpose is, one of the ways you can back into your purpose is slow down and start asking yourself, what are the gifts and talents and abilities God has given me? What are the things that God has graced me to do that just come easy to me that other people may, may struggle with? And it's not always, you know, just like a, a singing talent. I mean, I mean, anybody ever wishes you could sing? Come on, you can, you can be honest. Anybody like a recording artist in the shower? Come on. <laughs> well, have you ever wondered why God didn't give everybody the gift and ability to sing? Even if you take singing lessons, singing lessons don't make you sing. They can make you sing less horrible, but they ain't going to make you sing. 
like, I wish I could play instruments, man. And I know you can take some, some lessons, but there's some people who just have a natural talent. Several of the guys on our staff, you know, James Denard, who's in the back on the guitar, and, and uh, Emmanuel Hervey. You know, I mean, I've watched both of them grow up as teenagers right here at this church. And James was about like 15. He's around here. And he was playing the keyboard, and he was playing the bass, playing the bass around here. And, and I remember we had a youth camp that we were getting ready to go to one summer, and they had all the pieces of the band for youth camp, but they didn't have a lead guitar player. And since they have a lead guitar player, James went and bought a lead guitar and taught himself how to play lead guitar in like two weeks. And is now like one of the baddest lead guitar players. What, what am I saying? That, that's not natural. That's a gift. See, the gifts and the callings go together. So if you can't figure out what has he called me to do, back up and ask yourself, what are the gifts he's given me? And it's not always like singing gifts or instrumental gifts or dancing gifts. Some of you have a gift to love people that other folks can't deal with. Come on, man. Some of you have a gift. You walk into a room, the room lights up. The room gets better when you show up. That's not natural, man. Learn how to value what God has put on the inside of you. I tell people I have been pastoring my entire life. My entire life. I, yeah, I went to Bible school when I was 21, graduated at 23, Starting full-time ministry at 23, moved here to start this church at 26, but I have been pastoring my entire life because I have been a leader in almost everything I've ever been a part of. When I played sports, I played baseball, basketball, and football. Every team I've ever been on, at one time or another, I got voted to be one of the captains of that team. When I, when I, when I used to sing, I had a singing group, a couple singing groups. Y'all met one of them last week. That, that was the gospel. And I had another one that's like boys to men-ish. Secular singing group. I had, let me just set the record. I had the secular one first, then I went gospel. <laughs> but watch this. In both singing groups I was a part of, the one you all met last week off of Christ, I was one of the last ones to come to the group. But over time, they asked me to be the one to lead the group. I had a breakdancing group, too. <laughs> oh, you don't think I can put it down like that? I'm stuck. I need some help now. <laughs> I had a breakdancing group, too, and I ended up being the leader of that. I mean, everything I've been a part of. When I went to college, I played as a fraternity, and I wasn't the shortest on my line, but the guy who was the shortest, who was supposed to be number one, didn't want that smoke. And I was like, I'll do it. I want to, be, I want to lead the group. I want to lead. So I ended up being number one on my line, ended up crossing and, and into the fraternity, and got voted the president of the fraternity as a neophyte. I'm not bragging. I'm just trying to say I've been a leader my whole life. Even when I was a little kid, my grandmother used to tell the story how she'd buy a pack of cookies to give out to the kids in the neighborhood. But if I couldn't hand out the cookies, I didn't want to eat a cookie. <laughs> I've always wanted to be in charge. True story. When I, true story. When I was five years old at, at Greater Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan, I was five years old on a Sunday morning. And I directed the adult choir. I was a little five-year-old kid. They put me on a little stool. I had a little white cape on. And I was, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. My entire life. What am I saying? That's not normal. That's a gift that goes with the calling. See, watch this. God couldn't call me to be a pastor and not give me the gifts that I need to lead people. Amen. Amen. Come on. Are you still with me today? I said, are you still with me today? See, watch this. When we stand before God, we're not going to just give an account for what we did. 
we're going to have to give an account to God for what we did in comparison to what he called us to do. That's the reason why we can't afford just to waste a bunch of time doing stuff that God didn't say. Because a lot of people are going to get before God. They're going to have this list of accomplishments, how many followers they had on Instagram, how many people they did, you know, uh, uh, live streams for and everything else. And God's going to take those things that weren't a part of his plan. They're going to go into a fire and just get burned up. And he's going to go back and say, well, these are the things I told you to do. Let's see how many of you did. See, that's the reason why when you really start embracing purpose, you learn how to stop being jealous about other people. See, I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm not. I'm not in competition with Rodney. I'm not in competition with another pastor of another church. That's why I can celebrate what's happening at another church. I can get excited about what God is doing in them. Why? Because what God is doing in them got nothing to do with what he's doing in me. And I'm not looking at myself to see where I am in comparison to them. The only person why I'm in competition with it is myself. Every year I'm looking to see, am I where I should be given all the time and the energy that God has given me to fulfill his purpose for my life? Amen? Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. See, just because we take off to do something different than what we were created to do, doesn't mean that God's going to suddenly just give up and say, all right, we'll just go ahead then. It's like when you start making wrong turns with that navigation system, it never just says, oh, well, just go ahead wherever you want to go. God's not going to give up because we start making wrong turns. One of the reasons why many people are miserable, even in the middle of what looks like success, is because there is no peace when we resist our God-ordained design. You ever wonder how you can have folks that make, have millions of dollars and are still miserable? I remember hearing Deion Sanders' story, man. He was at the prime of his career, man, and tried to drive off a bridge to, to kill himself. Because you can't have peace if you're not in the middle of God's will and if you're not living according to God's design. That's why we go back and read the story of Jonah, man. God told him, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, I don't want to preach to Nineveh. So he got in a boat heading the opposite direction. And as he's heading in the opposite direction, watch this, nothing would work out. See, sometimes it's not the devil attacking. Sometimes the reason why it won't work out, because you're trying to go the opposite direction of what God said to do. You're trying to take off to go somewhere, do something, get connected that God hasn't actually said. And so he's trying to head in this direction. Nothing is working out. And the danger is when we get in the boat and we start heading in the wrong direction, not only does it affect us, it affects the people around us too. Everybody else in the boat was being affected by Jonah's bad decision. And finally, they looked around and it's like, it's somebody in here that ain't doing right. <laughs> somebody need to go home right now and go, who in this house is not doing right? And they finally took Jonah, threw him overboard, and God in his mercy sent a big fish to swallow him up. Now think about it. That fish was God's mercy. If the fish doesn't show up, he drowns. But watch this. The fish shows up as God's mercy, but it's not the best ride. I can only, I've never been inside a big fish, but I can imagine it's wet, it's stinky, it's slimy. You got fish guts, fish parts, shrimp stuff all over you, and that's your ride to get you to safety. 
fish gets him to the shore, spits him out. He, no, let me, let me say it right. He vomits him out on the shore. So not only does Jonah come out, everything else the fish had ate that week comes out on top of Jonah. And he's laying here, stinky, smelly, wet, cold, slimy on the shore. You would think that God would say, son, you've had a rough week. I'm going to give you a few days just to rest, and we'll come back and figure out how we're going to get this plan back on track. He's right there on the beach, and God says, all right, now get up and go to Nineveh like I told you to. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you, God's not about to change his mind just because you decided to go a different direction. Take the long route or the short route. God's going to still be here saying, we're going where I told you to go. Amen? Here's another thing we need to understand about purpose. Pursuing God's purpose is what brings the fuel that we need to face the challenges of life. When I pursue God's purpose, that's what gives me the fuel I need to keep going. That's what, that's what allows me to press past being depressed. See, so much of the frustration and depression that dominates our society can be tied back to living life with a lack of purpose. So many people that end up depressed, discouraged, so much of what we label as mental illness. Don't get me wrong. There really is mental illness today. So much of what we label automatically mental illness and we give a person a pill to take, so much of it can be tied back to living life without a purpose. See, problems don't magically disappear because we follow God. But what happens is we find a purpose that matters more than our problems. I don't even get a pass because I'm the pastor, man, I don't. I got, I got some really bad news yesterday that just kind of had me messed up. You know, I, I know how to grind through it because I've been doing it for years. I went to sleep and got up this morning and, you know, did my normal routine and got to the office. And I was good till I got here and, and I got here and it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And literally when the, the pre-roll and stuff is getting ready to run, I'm in the back and I'm just messed up. And I know I got to make it out of here because my mind wanted to send my notes to Rodney or, or Bluen and tell one of them to go ahead and preach. But I've also learned you don't let the devil back into a corner and get you off your post. So I, so I pressed my way to come out here to the front row, but I'm just, I'm just here physically. I'm there physically, but mentally I'm in a bad space. And it was the worship team that started singing. It wasn't the first song. I, I, I stood through the first song, but it was the second song when they said, there's nothing that our God can't do. Come on, man. Mm. There's not a mountain that he can't move. It's not a prison wall he can't break through. Come on, it gave me a reminder that everything doesn't have to be right for me to do what I'm called to do. And I got up here on this stage with all the faith on the inside of me. And by the time I got done preaching to that 8 o'clock service, I was like, I wish the devil would show his ugly head. What am I saying? Your problems don't disappear because you're on assignment. You got to get a purpose that matters to you more than the problem. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. Everybody put your hand on your chest. Say, I'm God's masterpiece. No, you didn't say it like me. Say, I'm God's masterpiece. That word masterpiece literally means, it comes from a Greek word, poema, P-O-E-M-A. It's where we get our English word poem from. So you could say you are God's poetry in motion. God's poem. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that... 
we can do the good things he planned for us a long time ago. The Amplified Bible says we are God's workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. See, the good life is not automatic just because we're Christians or because we go to church every week. The good life is tied to being prearranged and the prearranged purpose that God has designed for our lives. Every one of us has some basic design or basic calling on our lives. Number one, we're called to be with God. Before we go to work and parent kids, the first calling on our lives is to just be with God, which means God wants to see you. He wants to spend time with you. We're called to be with him. Number two, we're called to represent him. Let the world see what the heart and love of God looks like through us. We're called to serve God. And then number four, we're called to win other people to God. Called to be with him. We can say that's no God. Called to represent him. Clean up our lives so we can be good representatives. That's find freedom. Called to serve him. That's discover our purpose. Called to win others to him. That's to go out and make a difference. Last thing I want you to know about this purpose is we are called to walk in our purpose, then turn around and help other people find their purpose. Walk in our purpose, then turn around and help other people find their purpose. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, Jesus came to them and said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the people of all nations and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to do everything I have told you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. See, God cares a lot about us. Don't get me wrong. He cares about the details of our lives. He cares that you need and believe in him for more money. He cares that you just got a bad doctor's report and you believe him for healing. He cares that your marriage is a little bit strained and you're believing for it to be restored. He cares that your child has kind of gone astray and you believe for them to come back home. But can I tell you, if God had a prayer list on his refrigerator door, what would be at the top of his prayer list wouldn't be your healing and my prosperity and promotion on my job. What would be at the top of God's prayer list, if he had a prayer list, would be the souls of those that don't know him yet. Can I just give you a secret? If you make what's most important to God become what's most important to you, God will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 13, verse 45 says, God's kingdom is like a jewel merchant who's on the hunt for exquisite pearls. He finds one pearl that is flawless, and he immediately sells everything he has so he can buy that one pearl of great price. I've heard many pastors and preachers over the years tell this story about this, this parable, and they usually equate the pearl of great price to Jesus. And they say something like this, when we came to Jesus, we realized how amazing he was, so we went and sold everything we had so we could pursue Jesus. I'm not trying to sound like a theologian, like I know it all, but I don't think that's what the scripture's talking about. And I say that because when I found Jesus, there was nothing in my life worth selling. I came to him with filthy rags. I came to him with a pile of unrighteousness. Yeah, he is amazing, but the pearl of great price, I believe the scripture's talking about is you and me. See, God looked at you, and he still looks at you today. No matter how much you've missed it, no matter how raggedy you think your life has been, he looks at you, and he says, you're worth it. 
You, in fact, you are so valuable that Jesus laid aside all of his heavenly deity, put on a dirty little earth suit like the people he created to come down here to represent you and me so he could win us back. He said, no, 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 you're the pearl of great price. You're the one Jesus is willing to sell it all for just to come after you. And I know your God so loved the world, but can we just break it down? God didn't just love the world. He loved you. That means if you had been the only person, hear me out, hear me out. If you had been the only person on the entire planet that needed salvation, God would have still sent Jesus just for you. That means if Adam didn't sin, and Eve never sinned, and Noah never sinned, and Moses never sinned, David never sinned, Abraham never sinned, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Martin Luther, your great-grandfather, your grandparents, your mom and dad, if nobody ever sinned and the first person in the history of the world to sin, if it had been you, God would have still looked at you and said, you by yourself are worth me sending my son to die for you. You're the pearl of great price. And God loves you so much that he wants you to know that you're worth it. See, there's another parable over in the book of Luke where it talks about a man who's got 100 sheep. One of them goes astray. And you would think, well, he's he still got 99. That's, that's, I mean, who wouldn't like 99%? The Bible says he leaves the 99 to go and pursue just the one. Everybody say, I matter that much to God. Come on, say it again. I matter that much to God. It talks about a lady who's got 10 coins. She loses one of the coins. The Bible says she moves the furniture all over the place searching for that one coin because that one coin matters. The Bible talks about a man who's got two sons. One of his sons is still at home, still serving God. The other son takes off and goes and wastes his life, the Bible says. And instead of that father writing his son off men done dealing with him, he doesn't go chase him. He doesn't go and try to make him come back home. He gives him space to go figure it out. But as soon as his son shows back up, you know his dad's been thinking about him. Because as soon as he sees him, the Bible says he runs, kisses him on his neck, puts a robe around him, puts a ring on his finger, and tells him it's time to celebrate because my son has made it back home. God's got some sons and some daughters that need to know that he still loves them too. My pastor, Chris Hodges, he tells a story. He's got a, a grown son who's, who's, who's on the autism spectrum. And he tells a story about how when his son Joseph was a teenager, they went on a family vacation, and they were in an ice cream shop, I believe it was, and they were all just kind of talking and not really paying attention. They came out and realized they didn't see Joseph. And Joseph had, had drifted away, had gotten lost in the crowd. And he said the, the panic that was on him as a dad in that moment, he's had five kids. He said, at, at no time did, I, did he ever say, well, at least I still have four others. In that moment, the only kid that mattered was the one that was lost. I experienced the same thing. I have a family member who's also on the autism spectrum. And we went to a sporting event together. And we're sitting there hanging out, watching the game together. And we get up to go to the restroom and get some food. I went to the restroom. He went to get some food. And I say, well, when you're done, just meet me right here. I come out of the restroom, and I'm looking for him. He's not there. And so I go over to the concession stand. He's not there. And I wait for a few minutes, look, and I still don't see him. So I go back to the seat. I'm like, well, maybe he went back to the seat. I get back to the seat, and he's not at the seat. So I come back up, and I'm pacing back and forth trying to find him. I took about 15, 20 minutes. I'm going back and forth trying to figure out where he could have gone. 
And finally, I look up and I see him coming around the corner and he's got this panic look on his face. He's frazzled. You can tell this crowd has just stunned him because he can't figure out how to get back to where we started. And I grab him and get him back to the seat. Because for me, why I says it was easy for me to know how to get back to the seat. But for him, it was the hardest thing in the world. Can I tell you, God's got some kids out there right now who are just trying to figure out how do I get back to God like I know I should be. And the church has made them think it's the hardest thing in the world. The church has made them think you got to stop doing these nine things. you got to promise you'll never do these things ever again. And God is saying, no, 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 just love them enough to let them know you can come back home just like you are. I'll work with you where you are. I'll help you where you are. I've got a purpose for your life. It has not changed. And that's why we keep harping on asking you to take this little invitation. I know it just looks like a colorful card, but this could be somebody's life change. But you realize that this simple invitation given to somebody after you prayed over and asked them, hey, if you're not busy on the 17th, would you mind coming to church with me? We always say, if you can get them here, God will meet them here. And God can radically change their life. Somebody has drifted from God. And they need us to love them enough to show them how to get back home. There's a purpose on your life that God wants to use to help bring them home. Last thing I want to share with you, and I'm done. Yesterday, we wrapped up our 21 days of prayer. And every Saturday, we have prayer right here in the building. And we, gave you these, we have these little prayer cards in the seat pocket. And even today, if you have a prayer need, write it on that card. You don't have to put your name on it. You can give it to the usher on your way out or put it in the basket they have out back there. But we pray over these cards. I personally was picking these cards up, walking around, praying for them. And as I'm praying over these cards, I'm reading some of them. I'm like, oh, man. If they would only just realize we already have something in the church that can help them with that. I read a card from a lady who said, who's praying to help make her pathway straight. She says, I've been falling short in my life helping other people, and I end up went, I went off track looking for love in the wrong place. And I'm asking God will help my life to become stronger, that God would give me forgiveness and let his mercy and grace be with me forever. And I thought to myself, man, if I could just get this woman in our counseling center... We have a whole counselor. I pay a whole team of counselors, certified counselors. That once you become a member of this church, you don't have to pay for that. It's a part of your membership, man, to be able to sit down in front of somebody who's not going to judge you, who's not going to spread your business, but help you work through the issues of life that we all have. I said, if I could just get her in the counseling center, watch this, or if I could just get her in a small group, she would learn that God has not only forgiven you, he continues to forgive you. I read one that says, I pray for better housing situation, and I need some financial literacy. I'm asking for more strength and understanding. In our counseling center, we have a full-time financial planner on our staff. Right here on the second row, stand up, Alvin. Come on. I can't tell you how many families and individuals he's helped sit down and walk them through their finances, help put together a plan. So you can get out of living from paycheck to paycheck, get some financial literacy, and get some prosperity. See, prosperity is not a matter of throwing your dollar on the stage and thinking God's going to give you $1,000 next week. He's not. If you don't know how to take care of the dollar you throw on the stage, why would he give you 1000 to mess up next week? But there are resources right here at your church that this is not even one you have to necessarily be praying for as much as just taking advantage of what God has already put in place. Then I read one that says, I'm praying to overcome depression and stress and anxiety 
and these negative suicidal thoughts because I'm lonely. Every Tuesday night, we have something here in the building we call Celebrate Recovery. It's our, yeah, some of you have been a part of it. It's our spiritual 12-step program, but it's not just for people that are addicted to drugs or alcohol. You may be bound by grief. You may have a habit or a hang-up that you haven't been able to overcome. You're trying to get more discipline in your life. One of the things we got to get better at as a church is stop being so prideful. Stop trying to act like we got it together, man, and actually pursue freedom by taking advantage of what God has put in place. You don't have to be lonely in, in a church that is built on relationship. If that's you and you've been struggling with loneliness, as soon as we dismiss today, go right out here to the small group hub. Talk to our team there because next Sunday we start small groups. And there's a family that's waiting for you to let them love you back to health and watch God do something amazing in your life. If you're excited about that, come on, give God a shout of praise today. All right, listen to me real quick. I'm getting ready to pray in a moment. Some people get ready to get their lives to the Lord, but I want to ask you something before I pray. As soon as I'm done, we, we, we keep seeing this habit, and as soon as I'm done praying and we celebrate people that said yes to Christ, I turn and walk away, and a bunch of you get up and start leaving. I'm going to ask you, please, please don't leave. We don't stay in church all day long. Our church services are pretty short on purpose. But what happens is God is still doing a work in people's life. And if, if you're rushing just to be the first one in the kids' line or be the first one to the parking lot or to the cafe, really what ends up happening is you could ruin what God is trying to finish in somebody else. So I'm asking you as your pastor, when I wrap up and walk off, would you please stay in your place? Our team will be dismissing just a few minutes after that, and you'll be able to walk out and get to wherever you got to go. But it really would help us to make sure we can finish ministering to everybody that's in this place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're not sure if you walked out of here today and breathed your last breath, if you go to heaven or not, I'm asking you, ma'am or sir, will you let me pray for you today? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come up here to the front of the church. But right there at your seat or right there online, I want to lead you in a really simple prayer, but it'll radically change your life if you give me permission to pray for you today. So I'm going to ask here in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I get to three, if you know that you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to be so bold to quickly raise your hand when I get to three. And I say quickly because the devil's going to try to talk you out of it. He's going to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't raise your hand. He's going to tell you you should wait till next week. But their tragedy could strike at any moment if you don't have Christ in your heart. We don't want to try to wait till next week. Today, while you have breath in your body, is the day to give your life to Jesus. So if you're ready to surrender to him, I'm going to count to three. When I do, go ahead and raise your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Lift that hand up. Beautiful. See that hand there, another hand there, another hand there. Thank you, another hand right there. Lift it high, don't be ashamed. Thank you, see that hand there, another hand there. Thank you, sir, another hand there, another one there, another one there, another hand there, one, two, three hands there. Thank you, see that hand there. Thank you, ma'am, another hand there. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All over the room, hands are going up. Thank you, another hand there. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I promise you, you're not by yourself. I promise you, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. In fact, if you raise your hand, you can go ahead and put it down. There's nothing else I'm gonna ask of you other than I'm gonna ask you to repeat this prayer in just a moment. If you mean this with all your heart, God's going to change your life right there where you're sitting. Anybody else want to get in on it? Anybody online? Anybody in the room? If you do, thank you. Just raise your hand right there where you are if you haven't already raised it. Beautiful. All right, every one of you that raised your hand, I want you to whisper this prayer. Say, dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. He paid the price for my sin. 
but you raised him from the dead, and he's alive right now. Jesus, come into my heart now. Save me. Forgive me. Make me brand new. I surrender my life to you for the rest of my days. And according to the Bible, I am born again. Amen. Come on, put those hands together. In fact, 